Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. I am, uh, please forgive me, I am trying to uh, play the, not just the crowd here, but also the folks online, because I know that uh, there's a bunch of them there, so. Um, please forgive me if I'm, you know, looking right at the camera instead of looking at you guys. I, I don't know what the mix is. Nick, do we have an idea how many roughly tune in? Is it like 50, 100 millions? Just under a million? That, that's good. That's really good. Uh, well, gr- I'm grateful to be here. I, I just, I, I'm having a hard time getting past where we just were. Uh, it seemed like there was something, some breakthrough uh, that we were on the verge of, and um, you know, I, it, it would be it would be my natural tendency to want to go back to that. But uh, we're going to come back at the end, and we're going to do that. All right. So um, hopefully, the Word of God is positioned in such a way that it's going to have an impact, and it's going to help you, uh, because we all have to make some fundamental decisions today, and we're going to see uh, someone in whose life they were given. Um, an opportunity that very few people receive. All of us have had that opportunity. Those of us here, those of you who may be watching, have had that opportunity. Um, and uh, I'm also going to sprinkle in a little bit of leadership theory. I was originally going to kind of go heavy with this, but uh, uh, we wanted to keep with the theme of uh, the Gospel of John. So uh, we're going to we're going to use the Gospel of John because it does it is furtive. Uh, it, it's it's fur- um, fertile soil uh, for us to discover more about the leadership uh, of Jesus. And I think that's important because if we truly want to model that, then we need to understand it better. And I would say to you in this hour, um, we must. We must de- decide. We must declare what we believe. There's no escaping that um, because um, you're going to be punished one way or the other um, either by the culture or just a guilty conscience. Uh, a gentleman called me yesterday, good friend uh, for a number of years. Uh, I've w- worked for him, and um, now we're friends, which is kind of amazing when you work for someone and then you're their friend. Um, but um, apparently because of his faith, uh, uh, he encountered someone who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you out of business, and uh, was subjected to great harassment. Um, because of his faith and his position um, on different things. And, and that's kind of what I was thinking as I read this. Uh, after we finished last week and Pastor John and I talked about uh, me doing this, and I said, yeah, I, I kind of had a direction I wanted to go. But I started reading over the Gospel of John, chapter 5, the first few verses, and uh, it just seemed like it fit perfectly. So we've prayed a lot. I really would ask you to pray in your own spirit that God, if God has something for you today. Uh, that he will make it clearer to you. So let's look at the Gospel of John uh, and the theme here, which is, dun-dun-dun-dun, man in the middle. We're going to, please turn to uh, John's Gospel, chapter 5, if you're doing this uh, at home, or if you're with us, and we'll read through it uh, together. I believe this is the New Living Translation. After this, so after what? If we're, chapter 4 last week, remember the... uh, 
woman at the well, there was also a healing that occurred. Uh, some scholars would suggest that uh, there are seven significant healing episodes in the Gospel of John. In a, in a few moments, I'm going to show you a slide uh, where uh, John's Gospel also highlights some different attributes of Jesus, what we call the famous I am statements. Um, uh, we already know, we already know based on John, John's Gospel, chapter uh, 20, verse 31, that many things that Jesus did, right? I don't, I'll probably quote it as a paraphrase. Jesus did many things which would fill a number of books, many, many books, right? But why were these things written? What does it say? John 20, 31. But these things were written, why? That you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. You need to define those terms. We all need to define those terms. We can't just say, I understand it in my, you know, cognitively. I understand what it means to believe. I understand what it means to have life. You need to define that very clearly in your own life because that will be evident in how you behave. Belief dictates behavior. If you believe something or, or how you frame something will be evidenced in how you behave. Okay? If you believe that people are broken and have needs, then you're not just going to walk by them. You can't do that. Okay? Or because if you do, then it's, there's dissonance. Okay? There's a conflict between what you believe and how you behave. Okay? Your kids see that, if you're old enough to have kids, uh, or if you work with other people, they see that. It used to be after I became a Christian, I wanted my uh, younger sister to know Christ. And it seemed like every time we got together, uh, we'd be with the family and we'd be doing family stuff, you know, goofy family stuff. And uh, something would happen and she'd say, I knew it, you haven't changed. And I'd always be like, oh, I really want her to see, no, because I want her to see Jesus, not because I expect to be perfect. You know, call my wife, you'll find out I'm not perfect. Hi, honey, I know she's watching. Um, um, I, it's not because I want to be perfect, but because I want people to know Jesus. I walked with Richie this morning, after Deb and I walked in the neighborhood, which we do every morning, um, when it's nice, uh, you know, when we can walk and it's not pouring rain. Uh, and so Richie was out this morning. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you know who I am, but I mean, I got a plan, right? You know, I'm got, I've, Deb goes in, I've still got another mile or two that I want to do, whether I run or whatever. And, and I see Richie and I'm like, I don't want to talk to Richie. All he wants to do is talk about politics. But Richie needs Jesus. Richie needs Jesus. I actually call him, he and his wife are, are taller. I call them Mr. and Mrs. Tall. Uh, so Mr. Tall was out this morning, and I stopped my rapid walk, and I walked alongside of Richie, and I can't get too close because Richie believes in the science, and he says, oh, I don't want you to get too close. So we're talking, and I'm asking him how he's feeling because I want him to know Jesus. Okay, If I believe, like we just said, John 20, 31, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in His name. And if we believe that Je what Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Then Richie needs Jesus Christ. Okay? So I'm walking with Richie even though I want to do my own thing. I've got to get to church. I've got a plan. I want to walk with Richie because I'm hoping that somehow the Spirit of God is going to invade that opportunity. And we're talking about Richie, and it's about Richie because I want to encourage Richie. I want an opportunity to express my faith. And right away, 
let's go, what happened? What happened January 6th? Tell me what you think happened. And he wants to get into politics. And um, he said, Richie, you know, I really want to like you. And I don't want to talk about... I really, I don't want to talk about politics. Why is that funny? I don't want to talk about politics. I want to talk about Jesus. I didn't say Jesus this morning, but that's my goal. Richie needs Jesus. So John wrote specific things at a specific time. Now, let's also remember when John wrote. John wrote uh, probably between 80 and 90 AD. And this is going to be important as we read this description. Because John is writing about something that doesn't exist anymore. And that is the city of Jerusalem. Okay, He's explaining to people something that you can't find. As a matter of fact, what he describes to us, most people thought he was crazy until very recently when in Jerusalem they've dug up some of these, uh, the evidence of what he's describing here. So let's, uh, let's go back. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. After this, after the events that he's, he's described in chapter 4, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You go up to Jerusalem because it's on a hill. Uh, generally in that area, everything is down from Jerusalem, and everything is up when you head to Jerusalem. Jesus had a Galilean ministry, and he's in Galilee, but the feast, and we don't know which feast it is, but there were three times a year that the Jews would go. Passover, Pentecost, um, and I don't remember the other one, so I'm, uh, forgive me for that. But there were three times, and he doesn't tell us which of the feasts it is. But Jesus, as a faithful Jewish man, faithful to God's commands, goes up to Jerusalem. Okay, Now there is in Jerusalem, so this is what John is describing, that he doesn't know has been destroyed. But in 70 AD, Jerusalem was completely destroyed by, uh, by the Romans because the, the Jews would not comply. 68 AD, they started a rebellion. And by 70 AD, Rome had had it. And they said, you're done. And they destroyed it. They left the one wall in the temple, but everything else was torn down just as Jesus prophesied would happen. So there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is in English, House of Mercy which has five roofed colonnades. Again, most people would say, well, that's impossible. That, there was nothing like that. That would be a huge... But they've unearthed that. They found that now in Jerusalem. Uh, after You have to understand Jerusalem. They explained this to us when we were there. Jerusalem, is like the, the guide said, it's like a layer cake that's 21 layers deep. Anytime, Jerusalem was one of the most fought over um, uh, occupied cities in the world. Uh, every time someone would come in and occupy, take it over, uh, they would destroy everything else was there and they would build on top of it. And then, then the next group would come in and build on top of it. So there's like all these layers and you have to dig down into the layers in order to find some of these um, ancient uh, uh, things that we read about in the scripture. Okay, So there was this building and in this location there lay a multitude. I think I've highlighted it, although it's not and if he's still got it on there. And there's a multitude. Uh, multitude. So that doesn't sound like a handful, right? Multitude is a lot of people. There lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, in some versions of the Scripture, uh, you have verse 4. Uh, in most of the, the newer versions, because we found older uh, versions, more reliable versions of the Bible, verse, uh, verse 4 comes out. And why does verse 4 come out? Because it is, it is thought that verse 4 was a margin note 
uh, that a scribe put in that wound up being copied so many times it was copied into the Scripture. And verse 4 talks about something which kind of explains verse 7. We haven't gotten there yet, uh, but when we get there, uh, I'll explain that to you. So let's go from verse 3 to verse 5. One man was in this at this colonnade for 38 years. He was an invalid who'd been there for 38 years. Now, how does John know this? John seems to know a lot of things. John is inside, um, inside uh, Pilate's uh, area. He kind of knows what's going on with the Jewish leaders. John seems to have some connections. He was a business owner, um, and his father was prominent in business. So uh, it's, perhaps he has a lot of contacts. Uh, we see that several insights that John gives to us. So somehow John knows, and if John knows, Jesus knows. And if Jesus knows and John knows, and so the Jewish leaders. And we'll see how important that is later on. So this man had been an invalid, and he had been an invalid for 38 years. We don't know. It doesn't say he was born an invalid. That's another important point. But we know he's been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now in my notes... I give you the, well, I went back and I looked at translation. Most versions ask the question, do you want to be healed? And most people would say, that's kind of an odd question, Jesus. Why are you asking this question? Here he is at the pool with all these other uh, you know, people who are blind and lame. Doesn't he want to be healed? Wouldn't somebody who was in that condition want to be healed? So in the original language, when you look it up, to me, and I'm not that smart, you go to BibleHub.com and you look it up, uh, and it says, do you want to be made whole? So that gives you a little different picture. But again, so Jesus goes into this place, and there are broken people all over the place. And he picks out this one guy. Isn't that interesting? And we'll see, that's a, kind of a significant thing, that Jesus just... He finds that one person, right? God found you, right? God found me. Of all people, he found me. And he said, do you want to be whole? Isn't that? It still overwhelms me. So let's talk about who this Jesus is. Let's go, let's go to the next slide. Uh, again, I mentioned this uh, earlier, that John's Gospel is unique. One of the unique attributes about John's Gospel is that <clears throat> there are many I am statements where Jesus declares who he is. And these are rich, and it's a great study as you go through the Gospel of John. Some people have taken these I am statements and studied them separately. And, and you're certainly able to do that, and the significance of that. I would suggest to you uh, two things. Number one, uh, this does frame Jesus in more of a... Um, uh, well, he uses these, uh, these word pictures to kind of describe his attributes in terms of providing uh, restoration, providing life, access to the Father. Um, but there's actually two more I am statements that I'm going to show you in a couple minutes as we look at this situation. So let's go to the next slide. Have we got the scripture? Okay. So who is, we talked about who is Jesus. So who is this invalid? Okay. He's a sick man. We know he's been there for 38 years. And, um, He's one among many. We already mentioned that, okay? So what's up with that pool? Uh, as we said, verse 4 is not in the older manuscripts. And verse 4 says something to the effect of there was this superstition, many will call it, it's a superstition, 
that the waters would be troubled by an angel. And whoever got into the pool after the waters were troubled would be healed. Now, most people suggest that this is, as we said, a superstition. And that's why this verse is not valid in most uh, older manuscripts. When you go to the very older manuscripts, maybe some other manuscripts um, had it, but again, we said it's a note from a scribe, and because it was hand-copied over and over and over again. You have notes in your Bible, if you use a Bible anymore. Um, imagine going to court and putting your hand on a cell phone. This is a Bible. Uh, but, you know, most people put notes in their Bible. So those notes became uh, incorporated, but the, the older manuscripts that have been found do not have this because it was considered a superstition. Uh, Jerusalem is built over a lot of natural springs, and some of those springs are like artesian wells that occasionally there will be um, uh, different um, nutrients, elements. What, what comes up out of artesian wells? So th the reason you go to hot springs or the reason you go to a place like that, there's healing in that particular water. So um, uh, th there seemed to be circumstantial evidence that when these kind of things would happen. The water would bubble up. Someone would get in. And um, if they had a skin condition or something, something might happen. And so the water, there was, a, there was a connection that the water provided healing. There's no evidence that Jesus gave any um, uh, support to this. Uh, there's no indication anywhere. And, and that's not really, there's, I heard a pastor yesterday who said, uh, God never, ever has worked like this. Uh, where you would go into a water and an angel would trouble it. Naaman went to the water and he cleansed seven times, okay? But that was God healing him in that sense because it was an act of faith. Uh, in this particular case, there's no direct evidence that God would heal in this particular manner, okay? So I'm saying all that to say this man is by the pool, hopeful, um, and there's all these other broken people. But Jesus picks him out for a reason. So why does Jesus pick him out? Isn't that interesting that he comes to him and he says, do you want to be whole? And let's look at the man's uh, response. Let's go to verse 7. Okay? The man says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. You know, when I came to Jesus, I didn't really come to Jesus because I thought I needed him. I needed help with something. I was having some trouble. I was struggling with some drugs, and, you know, I was living a life that uh, was not really working out for me, and, and I kind of knew there were some problems. I, I, you know, I just need a little help, you know? And I kept going to help. I went back to my Roman Catholic roots, and I said, well, you know, I'd go, you know, at the time, you used to go to confession, you'd be in a box, and the priest would be in a box, and then they made it so you could kind of sit there and actually see the priest, you know, sacrament of reconciliation. And so I loved that. I could go in and just tell him all the wonderful things I was doing and how bad I was. And uh, it just wasn't enough, you know. There was just something missing. So when I went to a Bible study, I thought, I just need a little help, you know. And of course, I've told that story. They went right after my uh, Roman Catholicism. Um, but uh, I would suggest to you that there are a lot of people, and maybe I shouldn't generalize, but I do believe it's true that people come to Jesus in a time of need. And, and I would also suggest to you that as long as that need is met, they're good. And when things get tough, and, and they don't feel like their needs are being met, 
then Jesus isn't the answer anymore. Okay, you've got, uh, you look at the different soils, right? Jesus said there's some soil when it's planted on rocky ground, the birds come and take it. There's some soil, uh, some seed, I should say, it's planted on rocky ground. There's some seed that's planted and it, and it grows up a little bit. When the heat of the day comes, it doesn't endure. So I think that, you know, it, it's like, I hate to say it, but it is like a marriage that, you know, we go into it with this idea that, oh, I'm my perfect spouse. I'm going to communicate. I'm going to always, you know, we're never going to go to bed angry. Right? Those of you who are married are laughing. Um, but the fact is, and if you read this, it, it's true. There's a honeymoon period, and then, there's, then the work starts. And, and you have to constantly be willing to work through that. Um, to know what their love language is. I, love, I really appreciate the Love Languages book because people receive and understand love differently. And you, you have to learn that or you will not be happy. Um, and, and you can be, it can be the most fulfilling experience in your life uh, if, you're, if you work at it. Uh, and, and I think that this man wants healing on his, on his level. Jesus says, do you want to be whole? And he says, I just need a little help. If you could just get me in the pool and the water's troubled, I'm good. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says to him, he doesn't address the issue. He doesn't ask the man if he has faith. Notice this, you know, one of those faith schools. You know, if you had enough faith, you could really be healed. He doesn't say that, okay? Jesus gives him a command, three commands, actually. He says, get up, take up your bed, walk. Did you know I was... An invalid? Did you know I've been laying here for 38 years? No. Get the picture, okay? Of all the people there, he goes up to this one guy who's got excuses, who's a victim. You don't understand. I'm a victim here. I can't get to the pool. Other people can get in. I can't get in. And he gives them three commands. Now, you get up, take the mat, and walk. Interesting how the man responds, right? He does it. What else is interesting? Now that day was a Sabbath. Oh, we didn't get to that part yet. Okay, so we won't go there yet. But let's, let's go to the next slide. I think this is where we get into some of these. So what did Jesus ask him? Okay, do you want to be made whole? And he responded as a victim. I need help. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, so now who is this Jesus? We talked about the I am's. There's two more I am's that most people don't address in the scripture, okay? There's the, um, this one is great. Um, for a long time, I honestly struggle with this, of people who, you know, lead like Jesus, and Jesus is a perfect model of servant leadership and stuff like that. I thought, I don't see Jesus in that picture. I see Jesus in the, you know, the great I am pictures, right? The seven I am's, you know, bread of life, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Wait a minute. Jesus says, you call me teacher and you call me master and that I am. Whoa. Wow. Jesus is proclaiming his leadership right there. His authority. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. Not fooling around. Let's look at the next one. We also know we call him king. But he actually says, I am king. I am king. 
no fuzzies there, right? No cute Jesus, you know, I'm going to come up close and boy, Jesus, I really need something today. And if you could help me, if you give me a parking space right here, that'd be... Now, I'm teasing you a little bit, right? But you see the difference between the victim mentality or the fix me mentality and where Jesus really is. He's a king. He's a master. Okay? He's not here to fool around. Okay? This was a specific target, and we'll see that in the next verse. Right? Is that the next one? Okay. So this was the Sabbath. Ouch. Okay? The Jews had a corner. The Jewish leaders had a corner on the Sabbath. Okay? Uh, after the dispersion, after they came back, the Word of God, that was the only differentiator that made them unique as a people in their faith uh, area. They, and, and I won't get into all the detail. A lot of people get into the detail about uh, what works, you know, uh, what, what constituted work on the Sabbath, okay? If you remember, Jesus said in other places, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, okay? Um, he did not have the same regard for the Sabbath as the Jewish leaders. So let's just leave it at that, okay? He could have picked any other day, okay? But he's not, you know, Mr. Nice Guy Jesus, Mr. You know, Give Me a Hug Jesus, Hey, I have a little need here, Jesus. He's a king, okay? He's a master. He chooses the Sabbath. He picks a fight with the Jewish leaders by telling this guy to get up, take up his mat, and walk. Now, the man's been an invalid for how long? Did I say 38 years? Of course, I said that a number of times, right? Jesus knew, John knew. Do you think these guys knew? Because this is what it said. That day was a Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, wow, it's so great. You've been healed. What happened? Did you get in the pool? Did they say that? What did they say? They said, what are you doing, Karen? You're not supposed to be carrying your bed. What's the matter with you? What does he say? The man who, he the man who healed me, he said, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who, who is that man who told you? Not who healed you. Not who, not who um, set you free. Not who positioned you to be whole, completely whole. You're breaking one of our rules, baby. You're not supposed to do that. Who told you to break our rules? Okay, now when John MacArthur preaches this, he does a better job than I. Um, John would say that's false religion. I would suggest to you that you are looking in the face of a cancel culture. Okay? They controlled the culture. They controlled the dialogue. And they said, hey, I don't care what you're feeling. You're breaking the rules. We want to know who told you to break the rules because we want to cancel them from Twitter. We want to make sure Jesus' Twitter account goes down. Okay? Let me tell you this. This was powerful, okay? This was really powerful. After three years of ministry, get this, three years of ministry, and the constant onslaught from these people, how many people were with, with the disciples in the upper room? How many? 120. Okay? How many people were healed by Jesus? Thousands. Thousands. Okay? Go to the next chapter. When we go to, from John, John chapter 6, okay? Many are following him, and he makes it clear, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. King, 
This is King Jesus. This isn't warm and fuzzy Jesus. You know, this isn't I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, I don't really get that, but my brother's alive, right? This is King Jesus, Master Jesus. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And what happens? Many people leave. What does Peter say? When Jesus says, are you going to leave? He goes, where else are we going to go? There's nobody who speaks like you. Nobody. But the culture doesn't care. You've been 38 years as an invalid. You're carrying your mat. I want to know. You tell us who gave you permission to carry the mat. Let's go. Next one. Okay. So who are these Jewish leaders? Now, again, so this, this is kind of framing them seeking to cancel Jesus, okay? They call him a Samaritan. I don't know about you, but that's like calling somebody a bad word, okay? Right? Samaritans are bad, right? It, remember when Jesus, just in chapter 4, Jesus sat with the woman of Samaria, right? And, and they were like, what are you, what are you talking to her? Yeah, I'm supposed to be talking to her, okay? Okay? They, they say he had a demon, okay? They wanted to stone him in chapter 8. Everybody knows they want him dead. Look, okay? They are pursuing. It says right here in verse 16, when we get to verse 16, they are after him. Okay? He has broken their rules. They're going after him. Okay? And they're very effective. Okay? Not only do they crucify him, but at the end of his life, there's only 120 people waiting as he commanded them. Only 120. There were certainly more than those that saw him in Galilee. But when it when push came to shove, when, it, when you had to decide whether you were going to be on Twitter or with Jesus, and I'm not condemning, I use Twitter for a prayer list and things like that. I'm just, I'm trying to make this connection. Okay? I'm not like, you know, I'm going to be canceled here. Oh, there we go. Okay? No more Bucci. This won't be. Grace River banned from Facebook. Um, when it came, when it push came to shove, there were 120 people in the room. Let's see what happens to this guy. Keep going. All right, what's, uh, where are we? Verse 11. Okay. Um, so the man who healed me, he's told me to take up the bed. And they asked him, who is the man who healed him? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn from that place. He didn't even know who he was. Don't you think that if somebody had healed you after 38 years, like, you would have been like his slave for life, right? Like, at least give me your name. I mean, when you hit somebody with your car, you give them your name, okay? If you get healed, you get healed from, a, from 38 years, you'd at least want to say, I uh, didn't catch your name there, buddy, uh, right? He didn't even know who it was. Now, certainly, we know that there are thousands there. Once this happens, there's going to be a crowd. And Jesus... Jesus is not about the crowd right now. You know, I, I hate to say selective healing. We know there are some places where he lined people up. He had prayer lines, and he, he healed everybody. It's incredible when you read the description. People who were maimed. People who were lame. Not just like, hey, I, you know, I don't walk so good now all of a sudden. People who are missing limbs. I mean, what's up with that? Can you imagine being in that crowd? I mean, we're not talking Benny Hinn here or anything, all right? We're talking about like, limbs and things like that that are instantly restored, eyes and things, okay? And there's going to be tumult here. Jesus comes with this one guy, okay? And there's a reason John gives this to us, okay? Because you and I have to make a decision. 
about what we're going to do with Jesus. Okay? And, I, and that's not the one we made when you know, we were by our bed or when I was 20 years old and I said, I don't really get this Jesus stuff, but I'll pray and I'll give my heart to him and stuff like that. That's an everyday decision that we have to make. Let's go. Next one. Okay, where are we? 14? So then Jesus found him. Now, I originally thought the man was not grateful. Um, so there's, no indi- there, there's an indication, obviously, that he didn't know who Jesus was and, and couldn't even say who he was. Okay? Then Jesus finds him in the temple. Uh, there was a law, and Jesus would, when he would heal people, he would tell them to go to the priest and tell them that they had been made well. So there's a good possibility that this is why he's in the temple. Okay, we don't know. There's, you know. We're just getting John's image. Jesus finds him later on in the temple. But what does Jesus say to him? Okay, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, there's a couple different ways to look at this. Was it his sin that led him to be an invalid? We don't know. We know he wasn't an invalid from birth because it doesn't say he was an invalid from birth for 38 years. Okay, So something caused that. We don't know. But it's possible that Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, you've been made completely whole. You've been set free from your old thinking as well. Now don't go back to it because something worse may happen. You've been set free, John MacArthur again would say, false religion. You've been set free from dead works, from victim mentality. And the culture is going to tell you that you need to live in that mentality. The culture is going to tell you that you can't do anything about it. You weren't born in the right place. Or you didn't have the same opportunities. Does this sound familiar? Okay. Or you have a certain privilege or something like that. Okay. And yes, I do. I honestly do. There were things that I received by living in America, by being an American, uh, by growing up where I did. You know, I think it's a curse that I'm half Italian and half Irish, but you might wish that upon yourself because, you know, you're something else. I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm trying to be funny here, but you understand what I'm saying, right? We certainly are, are blessed, okay? Jesus comes up to this man and says, you need to understand that you've been given a great gift. You've been set free. You've been made whole. Now, do not sin or something worse will happen. And look at what the man does. The man went away and tattles. He turns Jesus in. So what does that mean? That means that even though he was healed, he was not set free in his mind from his old religion. He was not set free from his victim mentality. That he wanted to comply with the people in charge because he thought it'd be better for me to go along with these guys because they're going to make it nice for me. Again, John chapter 9, when the man who was born blind was healed of his blindness, his parents, they called his parents in. His parents were freaking out. They were scared to death. They were going to be put out of the synagogue. That was their life. You understand? That was their life. Let me tell you something. This is our life. When Jesus sets us free, and then we're in the world and not of the world, we forget the not of the world part. We try and manage our Christianity in our world. You cannot do that. You have to always be otherworldly, other-minded. You have to be. 
Because this world will tear you down. It'll bring you back to where you were. You've not changed. There's nothing different about you. And we will still rely on those things. And we'll try and manage Jesus in the middle of this. And guess what? He can't be managed that way. You can't just have a little bit of Jesus, okay? That's why this whole, uh, this whole um, uh, epidemic, pandemic thing is just so interesting. Because we've learned to manage our faith. Hey, I'll tune it in and I'll sit back and I'll watch, okay? I don't want to be managed like that. I want Jesus 24-7. I need to change. I don't just want to show up on Sunday, whether here or online, and say, well, I'll just watch it and then I'll just go off and do it. No, I need to be changed. I've got to grow. I don't need a little Jesus. I need a big, strong, Lord, King Jesus. That's what I need. Okay, I, but that's me. I understand that. And there are some people who strive for that. And there are some people who are comfortable with, hey, this pandemic thing works great. I tune it in. Watch it on TV. It's great. I'm talking to you. No, I'm sick. I mean, come on. I did the same thing sitting at home. Got the chips there. Pastor John's on. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's great. I, I, I need an altar. I need an encounter with God. And, and, and it can't just be the one that I got when I started. It has to be a daily thing. Because this culture wants to eat us for lunch. Let's look at who Jesus is. What did He do? Okay? This is who He is. He's the self-existent one. Okay? He's not just metaphors about the future and about access to the Father. He is our leader now. And how does He lead? Okay, so this is probably, I probably could, um, so, but let's just keep going. I'll show you some of these things. Okay? A little bit of, oh, so these are some, I'm sorry, so these are the examples. These are the encounters. And what I did, and I'm working with another gentleman, we're doing a, we're actually writing a, a chapter in a book about this, um, about how Jesus leads. It's my opinion that our servant leadership definitions are inaccurate. Uh, even though there are over 40 servant leadership theories I've already looked at, and this is where I was going to go, but it's, too theoretical, really, for a Sunday morning. But uh, um, it's my opinion that Jesus, when Jesus says in Matthew 20, 28, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom, that is servant leadership. The service is giving of his life. Okay, And this is how he gives it. These are his encounters. So these are the encounters, and these are the results of it. This is kind of me distilling these encounters down to eight behaviors. Go ahead. Next one. These are the eight behaviors that Jesus demonstrates. He comes for us. He comes to you. You received a precious gift that the Son of God made Himself real to you. That should be enough for anyone in this room or anyone watching. That the Son of God came to me. Okay, He came to the man at the well. He came to, at the pool and he said, do you want to be whole? I didn't understand. Most people don't understand it. Most people are in a pinch or in a difficult time and they say, okay, I'll pray to Jesus. And then they go back to that difficult time and they, when it's not working and they say, look, if you could just help me out here. It's like a Jesus fix 
instead of a different kind of fix, okay? He needs us all in, okay? He shows compassion without judgment. He acts according to his mission. He doesn't listen to the noise. I'm going to guess that many of us don't even know what our mission is, okay? Do you write it down? Did you start the new year by saying, these are my goals for the year, and this is my mission? How does this line up with my activities? I'm going to guess not. He sees the deeper need. He leads you to a place of decision. But you have to decide. Okay? You can, you know, you can lead a horse to water, right? Uh, he speaks truth that is inescapable. He acts with authority. He has a long-term view. Okay? There's a lot here, and I, I'm not going to be able to unpack it. I may come back. We may do a series or something on this. Let's go to the next one. Okay, so this is how it finishes. This is why this, they have to cancel Jesus. Okay? They have to cancel Jesus. Okay, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to cancel Jesus. Because not only was he breaking their Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. But they were upset. He's breaking the rules. We're controlling this thing. My suggestion is, next slide, we're finished. I'm sorry, I went so long. Okay, uh, so here's, here's the, the man in the middle. Here's Jesus. Here's the Jews. Jesus is here to save and serve. The Jews are here to control the culture. We're in the middle. Go to the next slide. We're in the middle. You are in the middle. The culture wants to cancel us. The um, House of Representatives just passed the Equality Act. That's going to require religious institutions to hire people who have a different uh, lifestyle, different uh, point of view, okay? I think there's actually a way to work through some of those things, and not hypocrisy. I think it gives us the opportunity to embrace folks who are different than us, uh, but certainly this is going to be a tipping point for many, many organizations, okay? It's coming. They're coming for us. They're coming. How are you going to lead? Next, last slide. How do we lead? Because you are a leader, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. You are a leader because you have been given an assignment by the king. Get up, take up your mat, and live this life. Walk this life as a person of faith. Are you going to rat out Jesus to the authorities? Are you going to go back to that dead religion? Are you going to go back to the victim and tell you, Joe, you don't understand. My life is so hard. You're right, I don't understand, and I don't care. Because i got my own problems, okay? I mean, I'll sit and I'll listen to you. Believe me, i got people call me all day with their problems. It's great. Well, because, you know what? Because this is how I want to live. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to show compassion without judgment. I want to act according to my mission which is to, to serve Jesus and to be an example of him to others, okay? To see people's deeper need. Richie needs Jesus. He wants to talk about politics. He needs Jesus, okay? Because you can talk about, you can be so happy that Joe Biden's president. That's great. Knock yourself out, okay? But something worse is going to happen to you, Richie. You're going to be separated from God for eternity. Am I happy to live with that because I don't have to listen to you, you know, uh, gloat about your, you know, your um, climate change. You know, I mean, 
Now, you see where I'm at, right? You understand that, right? I have strong opinions about things, okay? I want to act within the authority of Christ. You, you have, you and I have the authority of Christ to pray to believe God for big things. How often do we take that authority? It's designated authority. If you pray any, if you ask anything in my name, it shall be given to you. So do you do that? Oh, I don't want to bother God with that. Or I'll pray, but I won't pray long. I'll pray for five minutes about their grandmother. Right? Why not fast? Why not, you know, why not commit some time? Why not intercede? I love that picture, and, and John, um, Pastor Nick started the year with it, and it just occurred to me. Uh, uh, God says to Joshua, look, I've done all the work here. Joshua chapter 1. I've done all the work. All you have to do is go in and take it. Don't you think that God has done that in our lives? And how long do we, how long do we tarry? How long do we intercede for? Right? Come on, folks. I'm serious. You want something? God said, it's available. All you have to do is pray and wait and believe and pursue it. And maybe it won't happen, but you'll be closer to God and you'll trust in Him more uh, through the process. Or maybe He'll give you something beyond, right? Ex exceedingly abundantly beyond what we might ask or imagine. We need to finish. I'm way, way over. Let's, let's, um, we're going to close here. I'm not going to ask you to stand set. You can do whatever you want. Uh, we're going to go back to singing, I exalt thee. I want you to go back to that point when Jesus became real to you in your life. And I want you to ask yourself, if that is still real today, is that a real experience? Has it become something where you've had to decide between Jesus and comfort, Jesus and victimhood, uh, Jesus and, you know, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid too. I'm afraid that I'm going to be canceled by something. I'm afraid that they're going to shut down our university because we're not going to comply. I'm afraid of a lot of things, okay? But I want to walk with Jesus. I want to remember that he made me whole. I want to be completely separated from this life that I live here. I want to look at the possibilities of eternity. I want to go beyond my narrow frame of humanity and look at the divine unction and the opportunities that God's given to me. Because we are talking eternity now with God. I don't know if I've been able to express that clearly enough. It seemed like maybe I gave you too much toward the end, so I'm really sorry about that. Um, there were probably, this is... I remember when I was a rookie preacher, uh, uh, we sat and listened to a guy who preached for like an hour and a half, and a friend said to me, he said, well, what did you think? I said, would have made a great series. Um, there's a lot here, and I'm so sorry about that. Let's go back to Jesus at the pool, pointing you out and saying, do you want to be? And then he meets you in the temple, in the church, and he says, are you going to keep down this path? Because if you do, the end is going to be worse. Put your trust in me completely. Do you know that I can heal you? Do you know that I can, I can work in that situation that is causing you so much trouble? Will you trust in me? There's an eternal plan here that I'm working out in your life. Trust in me. 
I'm the king. I'm the ruler. I am the authority. Get up. Take up your mat. Walk out your faith. Believe in me. Let's pray. God, we worship you. We exalt you. Help us to live this faith. Help us to live in the reality of what you've done. That we would not settle for what we've had. The religion of of complacency or comfort and things are going to get rough we know and we and whether they do affect our life or not they certainly will if we just allow um, the noise of the culture to crowd out your still small voice help us to, to trust in your authority the work that you've done to to believe that you are working out your perfect plan or i pray for richie today god i pray that there's an opportunity to touch his heart and all the riches that we come in, count, in contact with who are, you know, whatever their political view or wherever they lie. He needs Jesus and I need to be that Jesus, that model that he can, he can see and he can hear. He needs Jesus so he's not separated from you for eternity and I need to walk in my beliefs and not be afraid. Father, bless us change our hearts. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.